Go find that forgotten cup of coffee and grab a seat. It's time for season two of Decidedly Dry. You're listening to Decidedly Dry. I'm your host, Jess Steitzer. This is a sober podcast where we actually focus on the good. Amazing, right? We spark inspiration. We try to provide some hope and we help motivate you. I promise to always keep it real, provide some dry humor, and remind you every single episode why sobriety is truly a superpower. Hello, you guys. Welcome to season two. I'm your host. You know that. This is Jess. Thanks for pushing play today. All right. Before we get to today's guest and today's interview, I just want to take a quick moment to say thank you for being here to listen to season two. If you listen to season one, you know that this is the show where we really, really try to focus on the good things that happen once you quit drinking. You know that I'm about as laid back as it gets, and I am totally learning how to do this podcast thing as I go. If you haven't tuned in before, well, first of all, welcome. Second, please take advantage of all the episodes available in the previous season. The guests are, they're incredible. And I truly believe that no matter where you are on this journey, each episode will provide you with at least one good takeaway and more than likely remind you of why you are on this journey with us. I've got some pretty amazing guests lined up for season two, not going to lie. These individuals have some powerful and relatable stories, and I am so honored to share them with you. Just a reminder, you can always help support this podcast by just simply hopping on Apple Podcasts to subscribe, like, and review. You can also head to my website at decidedlydry.com, click the little podcast button, and contribute to my production costs there. Honestly, one of the easiest ways to show support is to follow Decidedly Dry on Instagram and simply share an episode in your stories from time to time. I think by spreading the word about the show helps tremendously and is just another way for sober, curious people to find out about the tools that are available. All right, did I say too much? Are you still listening? (laughs) Let's get to today's episode. Today, I am interviewing a fellow sober podcast host, Casey Davidson. Casey is the host of a podcast you might be familiar with. It's called the Hello Someday Podcast. She is a positive, inspiring, sober leader here in the community, and I was honored to have her on the show. Here is our chat. Hi, Casey. Hi, I'm really excited to be here. I'm so, so excited. So listeners don't know this, but we actually just recorded an episode for Casey's podcast right before this. So this is like a treat to spend this whole afternoon with you. (laughs) I know, I know. And we were talking about rediscovering creativity and sobriety, which is such a fun topic. I loved it. It so is. So for those of you listening right now, you didn't know this, but this is going to be kind of a a two-part show, I guess. You're going to have to head over to Casey's after this and hear our conversation there too. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Well, Casey, thanks so much for agreeing to this. And, um, you know, my show is, it's kind of the story. Um, It's the story of the guests. So why don't you introduce yourself, tell the listeners who you are, if you have kids, where you live, 
what your job is. Yeah, I'm happy to. It's fun to be here. So to be on the other side of the microphone. Yeah, we shifted gears. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, so my name's Casey McGuire Davidson. I live just outside Seattle, Washington, and have lived here for gosh, 22 years now. I moved here when I was 25 from Washington, DC with my boyfriend at the time. He's now my husband. And we left our corporate consulting jobs in DC and drove cross country and lived on a floating home on Lake Union when we got here. And it was very sleepless in Seattle. We got a, <laughs> we got kayaks at REI before we got couches. And um, yeah, that was really fun. But now my life is, is less exciting than that. I guess I have two kids there. My son is 14. My daughter is eight. I stopped drinking six and a half years ago. So when my son was eight and my daughter was two, so it's been, it's been a while they've grown up. Um, you know, before when I was drinking, I was kind of a bottle of wine a night, girl 365 nights a year. So, and when I stopped drinking, um, I had been in the corporate world for 20 plus years. I was director at L'Oreal. I worked in digital marketing. I'd worked at startups and fortune 500s and was that typical, super busy, overscheduled, high achieving mom who, mm -hmm. you know, ran from the last meeting of the day to try to make daycare pick up in time. And <laughs> often for me, I was calculating if I had, you know, quote unquote, enough wine at home. Yeah. Um, and if I had time to stop to pick up a bottle or two, just to, you know, make sure that yeah. I had, you know, what I needed to relax and, and hang out or whatever on a Tuesday night. So wow, that's oh. kind of, I actually stopped working in corporate, um, two and a half years ago to become a full-time life and sobriety coach and started the podcast. And, you know, it's been really wonderful. Oh my goodness. Okay. I have to pause everything because I feel like something you said needs to be like a bumper sticker on this side of the world. Did you say kayaks before couches? Oh yeah. Yeah. That was like, you know, we were 25. Oh my gosh. I just imagine that being a bumper. Like that is so Pacific Northwest. It is what so you said right there. Pacific Northwest. <laughs> it is. Well, the, the crazy thing was, is my best friend, this is a little off topic, but my best friend from boarding school and we went to school in Connecticut. Um, cause my parents were overseas also off topic, but she moved out to Seattle right after college to her boyfriend was from here and he worked at Microsoft. And, um, so we followed Mike and I maybe three years later and they lived on a floating home on Lake union. So we were just like, Oh, this is what Seattle people do. They this had is what you should do. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty fucking cool, right? And so we moved here and we found a floating home a mile up the lake from them. So we used to kayak to their house for dinner parties, which was fabulous because you could drink a ton and then kayak home. It was much safer than driving. That is um, so funny. It, it was it was a good life. You know, I mean, if Tom Hanks does it, I mean, right? it's got to be okay, right? It was gorgeous. <laughs> it was like, you know, I don't know. It was like 800 square feet with like a loft with a mattress up a, a literal ladder. And our washer dryer was like outside in a shed on oh our deck, gosh. but it was, it was interesting. 
That is amazing. Oh, I love that. A story that I've never heard. I love that. (laughs) Well, you kind of touched a little bit on things that I'd love to dive a little deeper on. So you said that you quit, was it six, six and a half years ago? Six and a half years ago. Six and a half. So take us back to that time. I would love to know kind of maybe even before, like what your history with alcohol was, like when you started drinking, maybe when you started to notice your habits kind of shifting, do you mind sharing about that? Yeah, I don't mind sharing. Um, well, so I started really drinking in college and I mentioned, I went to boarding school. Um, my parents happened to be diplomats overseas, mostly in Africa and South America. So when I was 14, um, they were headed off to sort of different posts and they did without great American schools, certainly for high school. And we would have to move quite a few times in high school if I went to live with them. So we went to boarding school and my sister and I decided to go to boarding schools in different States, which was really crazy. So Mm. we didn't get along that well. (laughs) I actually was like, I don't know if I want to go to high school with her. She was older (laughs) than me meeting at the time. So you know, just turned 14. And suddenly my dad was in Africa. My mom was in Brazil. My sister was in a different state and I was very much on my own. And I sort of kicked into this. I have to be hyper good and hyper vigilant and no one's around to take care of me. And, you know, everybody needs to like me, but I, dear God, I can't get in trouble. Mm -hmm. So I think while everyone else was sort of rebelling in high school or breaking the rules or whatever, I just, did not because if you drank once you got suspended if you drank twice you got expelled and i was like i have nowhere to go like this is a non option so pretty much i mean other than like occasionally in the summer and like one crazy night at a girlfriend's house did not really drink throughout high school um and i went to college and i sort of had that same mentality like i moved every two or three years as a kid So I kind of had in the back of my head, like when I go somewhere new, I've got two to three weeks to meet everyone, become friends with everyone before all the clicks um, get together. Like this is my moment. So I don't know if you know the movie Animal House at all. I do. Yeah. I think it was filmed here in town. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's awesome. (laughs) So it was my dad's favorite movie. And in particular, the scene where the guy, you know, it's a frat, whatever. And he's like, I'm so-and-so damn glad to meet you. I'm so-and-so damn glad to meet you. So that was me in the beginning of college. And my dad, (laughs) his favorite line from Animal House literally was, my advice to you is to start drinking heavily. So I got into college. I was like, I can't be expelled from here for drinking. Um, And so I just was like, keg parties, meet everyone the friendliest person. And clearly I've got some unresolved friendship issues from, or like security issues from childhood, but it worked really well for me. Like I was like, this is great. Um, everybody's relaxed. Everyone's having fun. I'm not self-conscious. I don't remember everything in the morning, but people are smiling at me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then I joined the women's rugby team in college and it, um, I played, field hockey and lacrosse in high school, but I, I wanted to have more fun in college. I didn't want the morning and afternoon workouts and rugby seemed so fun. They showed up, you know, at the club recruiting and we're drinking and singing and hanging out with the rugby guys. And I was like, dude, 
this is my group. Yeah. And so I played four years fall and spring, but it is like a crash course in problematic binge drinking. Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, we drank to blackout, we drank to throw up, we drank in ritual, you know, chugging. I did my own fair share of keg stands um, and yet still got pretty much straight A's and spent Mm -hmm. all Sunday somewhat hungover in the library, working my ass off and graduated. And so my drinking kind of first, I thought that was normal. Literally Mm -hmm. everyone I hung out with drank the way I did in college, I got my first job and sort of my drinking just kind of shifted based on where I was in my life. Mm -hmm. Meaning like my twenties, it was out at the bar with friends dancing my, you know, moved to Seattle at 25 with my boyfriend and it was beers on the kayaks after work. It was, you know, wine in the park on date nights. And then we all kind of me and my friend group, we all were sort of married, dual income, no kids. So we had lots of dinner parties with Mm -hmm. the wine flowing and, and then we had kids and it was the mommy wine culture. And so my drinking was always pretty consistent. I always kind of drank every night. I thought that's what adults did. Mm -hmm. You had wine or beer with dinner every night on a date. Um, so I kind of never didn't not, you know, not drink, um, the amount I drank typically increased, Um, but when I look back, like even when I was 23, like in my first job out of college, like sadly I would like throw up bile for hours when I would drink, like I would be sweating on the bathroom floor, um, you know, unable to get up and then try to pull it together for a business trip the next day. And my, I remember, you know, I didn't even think this was that weird, maybe because of my college. Um, so my mom literally was just like, uh, I think you need to reevaluate your relationship with alcohol. And I was like 23 at the time. Yeah. And that became the long running family joke, right? Along with my advice to you is to start drinking heavily. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so, you know, by the time I was gosh, 32, 33, 34, I was a director at a big company. I had a newborn one-year-old, two-year-old. I was drinking, you know, three to uh, three glasses of wine a night to a bottle seven nights a week. And it was starting to dawn on me that this was, you know, not great. Like Mm -hmm. I was like, Ooh, the hangovers, the weight gain. Um, I did not realize that the 3am wake-ups were associated with drinking or my anxiety. I was, I didn't know anyone who'd stopped drinking. I hadn't tabbed into the world of sober anything. And so I went to my doctor and was like, I've got this big job. I've got this little kid. I have a ton of stress. You know, my dad was sick with pancreatic cancer and she was, I didn't say anything about my drinking. You know, they kind of ask you on the forum. And I was like a couple glasses. Oh, a couple a week. week. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe eight a week, 10, it was like 35, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she prescribed me Ambien and anti-anxiety or anti-depression pills. So then I was just like adding that into my drinking. Oh my gosh. And couldn't figure out why I couldn't get it together. Um, so, you know, I think I found somehow the book drinking a love story. That was my first one by Carolyn Knapp. 
and it had this glass of red wine on the cover and the title. I was like, oh yeah, it's a love story. Yeah. And I drank it while drinking red wine and was like, oh shit, I think I have a problem. Um, but I, but I didn't want to have a problem. So I like wrote myself this long, you know, letter to myself on a word document saying, I think I have a problem with alcohol. And then I promptly three days later went back and wrote over, you know, above it, just kidding. No problem. Nothing to see here. Isn't that funny? Um, Yeah. And so I kind of questioned my drinking for about eight years and tried to moderate, tried to take time off, tried to, um, you know, thought, you know, walked into work hungover on a Thursday going, do I just abuse alcohol or, you know, am I actually a quote unquote alcoholic? Because that would suck. And I'd have to stop. Um, and I was like, maybe I just abuse it that I, you know, that that's, that's solvable. Right. So that was, that was kind of where I was, you know, I, I can't wait to play on this myself. No, but seriously, like, I feel like so many of our stories are so similar and I literally feel like I was listening to myself, (laughs) you know, because for so long we do what is familiar. We do what everyone else is doing around us, especially when it comes for alcohol or to alcohol. And oh my gosh, when you were talking about the checking the boxes at the doctor's office, you know, it's like, oh, well, we probably couldn't put what we actually drink. Like that's going to be a flag. You know, I remember my doctor here in, in Dundee where I live in wine country, he almost like kind of gave me the a-okay like you're fine don't worry about it like people around here we get it you know but in my heart I'm going well he doesn't really know how much I drink so oh Casey so many good nuggets in there um and such a unique story at the same time don't you feel like when you hear stories it's like you can relate to like kind of the overall theme but like it's different just here and there yeah like absolutely for me I actually have to say that I love women who used to drink a lot and quit because they are my favorite people because usually they've got really good stories, like really good stories. They've had some adventures. (laughs) They, you know, have gotten into like crazy situations. They love to laugh. Yeah. Um, They like to party, which means they are pretty social, you know, usually. And yet there's this instant connection. Like if someone else has stopped drinking, you're like, oh yeah, we got, Mm -hmm. we got some stuff to talk about, but also they're real. They've done some work. They're honest. They've been vulnerable. You just can't go through this process without being it. And usually it's not a lot of posturing. It's not a lot of ego. We're trying to pretend we're perfect. Like, yeah, it's just like, I think women who've stopped drinking are the coolest. I agree. I couldn't agree more because yeah, like you said, we've got really actually hilarious, amazing stories. Yeah. And then we've got this great chapter in our book of how we shifted that, how we're badass enough to be like, nah, this isn't working. So here's a plot twist. I'm not going to drink anymore. Yeah. (laughs) And now we are so authentic and so real that, like you said, we're not ashamed. I mean, maybe we're ashamed of a few things, but we're not ashamed to tell our story because we're real and we own it. I mean, it's like they say, and I think it's even, we have a whole nother layer because we're moms on top of it. What's, yes. What do they say? Like when you meet a new mom, you'll tell oh, your yeah. birth story within 10 yes. minutes or something. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> you combine that with like being sober and it's like, forget about it. It's a whole new level. <laughs> well, 
it sounds like you obviously had that shift, uh, started questioning it. I also appreciate you pointing out that it took you about eight years of thinking about it, because I think that's an amazing reminder for listeners where it doesn't happen overnight for a lot of us. It's years of questioning it, trying to moderate, you know, quitting and then restarting. It is a process and not everyone's journey is just waking up one morning, like this isn't serving me and being done. (laughs) 95% of people's journey is not like that. And people are like, well, you just quit and you're so happy about it. And I'm like, oh, dude, (laughs) you know, like sit down sister. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It, it takes a while to, of trial and error. And I stopped, you know, for like four months and then got pregnant. So I stopped for a whole year and I was like, oh my God, I'm better. I'm less anxious. I'm less depressed. I'm happier. I'm more centered. Did not associate any of that to having stopped drinking. All of that with like, my drinking was situational. I was stressed out. It was my job, my boss, my spouse, my kids. And then I started drinking again and was like, got to that same dark Mm -hmm. sort of feeling doomed, unable to cope place. And the second time I was like, oh shit, it's the alcohol. Like, <laughs> like that light went off <laughs> and it was still hard to stop. It was oh. still hard to stop. Even when I knew yeah. that all of my feelings and insecurities and shakiness, not physical, but emotional mm-hmm. and confidence wise, and just mentally and feeling spent like that was all me drinking. Yeah. yeah. And, well, and I still had trouble stopping. And you mentioned a book. What was the book's title again? The first Quitlet book I read was called Drinking a Love Story by Carolyn Knapp. And it's this incredible memoir of a woman, a journalist in uh, Boston, I believe, uh, who wrote it. Um, And, you know, it was, uh, gosh, I read it when my son was born. So 14 years ago, she actually ended up going through the 12 step program, but the writing and the emotions and the vulnerability and the realness, it was sort of the first time I'd ever read anything like that. You know, it was before I got into the quitlet stuff. Um, yeah. I mean, I feel like this whole sober journey for everyone (laughs) is like you find one breadcrumb and then you start pulling this, Uh like, oh my God, there's this whole like underground network and universe. (laughs) of resources and people. And like, you don't know about any of it when you're just doing your happy hour tour. No. And I think for a lot of us, it's like a relief when you start discovering those things too. Like you're interested and you keep going with it. Like for me, um, it was this naked mind. That was my mm-hmm. first quit lit book. And within the first, I mean, good Lord, I think it might be the first page. She talks about the 3am wake up call. And I was like, <gasps> Cause I was that girl too. I'd wake up yeah. at 3 a.m. every single morning, you know, just dying of thirst, a bazillion degrees. Like, hmm, how much did I finish last night? You know, and for for it to be in a book right in front of me, it was like kind of my ding, 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 ding. Like, oh, wait, this is a yeah. thing, you know? And sometimes we need that kind of, you know, whatever it is, something to grab you by the shoulders and wake you up a little bit saying, no, like it's not you having, you know, sleeping issues. Like 
the root of this is actually what you are consuming every night. And I wouldn't have wanted to hear it at the time. I really wouldn't have. And I know that I would have been like, you know, the way people tell me right now, like, oh, you're anxious. You should drink less coffee. And I'm like, fuck you. You Don't talk to me. I'm just like, (laughs) shut your mouth. (laughs) This is not something I want to hear. And I'm positive. I would have been that way about alcohol too back in the day. But when you were talking about your doctor and how he was kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I mean, I didn't go in and say, Hey, I'm drinking a bottle of wine tonight, but I certainly went in and said, I'm waking up at 3am and I have crushing anxiety and X, Y, Z. And they didn't ask me about alcohol or they didn't tell me by the way, this is associated with drinking when the alcohol leaves your system. So why don't mm-hmm. you try 30 days without it and see how your sleep improves or whatever it is. Yeah. And I feel like I, I think a lot of doctors actually drink quite a bit too, because they're in the same society. Absolutely. We are. But like, it's almost malpractice. I was talking to someone who's a preventative, you know, RN who also stopped drinking. And she's like, we do screenings for um, prevent, you know, pre-diabetes and smoking and X, Y, Z. We don't do shit for alcohol. Literally. There are no questions we ask. Crazy. Makes you kind of mad. It does. It's frustrating. I mean, I know I wouldn't have listened to it anyway, but yeah, right. At the time, new doctor. No, (laughs) well take us. Okay. So we, we found the shift. How exactly did you remove it? Did you use a program? Did you quit cold Um, turkey? So I, you know, when I finally stopped six and a half years ago, it was not my first rodeo. Like I said, the second time I was like, Oh, it's the alcohol. So when my son was five, um, I went to a a therapist and I knew I was drinking too much. Um, and so I chose him specifically because he specialized in anxiety but also addiction. You know how they list all the things on their website of like what they specialize in. And so I went in there and I was like, all right, you know, my boss, my husband, my boss, my job, my schedule, my kid, and I drink a bottle of wine at night. And he was like, (laughs) all right, let's talk about your drinking. I'm like, no, 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 you didn't hear me. Let's Let's do the first things first. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) He was like, yeah, let's talk about your drinking. So which is what I needed. (laughs) And, um, so he had gone through, I mean, this was, this was, you know, a quite a few years ago. Um, and so he had gone through 12 steps. That was his path. I feel like that was the only main thing out there. It was really before all the books came out and all the podcasts and the online programs and the different approaches. And so he suggested that I go to AA meetings, Um, I went to, um, I joined an online group, my favorite one called the booze free brigade on Facebook and, um, started talking to them, which was terrifying at the time. Right. But, um, said, Hey, I work in tech. I'm the mom of a beautiful five-year-old. I've got a good marriage and I drink this much. What's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. And all these women, all these women came back and was like, your story's like my story. I get it. It's going to be okay. You're brave. You're amazing. I was like in tears reading all this stuff. Totally. And one of the women I lived in Seattle, one of the people were like, oh my God, you have to get to know Jill. Jill's amazing. And Jill was four months sober and, uh, you know, someone I would be friends with uh, my age, 
sweet, fun lawyer, you know, and so she took me to my first 12 step meeting and I was like, well, fuck it, bucket list. Never thought I'd do this. <laughs> um, you know? And um, I went for about four months um, and I was sober for four months, but it was not really my jam. I, you know, didn't agree with the dogma. I didn't like the big book at all. I'm not religious. So it, it kind of um, struck me as paternalistic and condescending and God oriented, even though I know there are many ways to interpret it, it was not for me. And so also black and white, I was like, well, this isn't for me, must go back to drinking. Right. Right. So after my daughter was born. I did that, but you know, I knew too much. Second time I went back to drinking every hangover, every, you know, quote unquote, falling asleep on the couch, every throwing up every, whatever it was like, Oh shit. This is, you know, basically at that point I was like, my drinking is unsustainable, but I could probably pull this off for another year or two. Right. Like Isn't I'm going to have to quit at some point, but not yet. Um, and then I was still a member of the BFB group. And finally, you know, I had various points, but finally at one, one point I woke up at 3am and I was scrolling through it and someone else had posted about yet another day one. And in the comments, you know, all this cheering on, but someone said, you should really sign up for bell bell, um, at tired of thinking about drinking. She has a hundred day challenge. She helped me. And so she's a coach and I did, um, we wrote each other via email every day. Um, mm -hmm. I signed I, my original goal was hundred days. I ended up like emailing her for well over a year. Um, and she, you know, we had coaching calls. She lives in Paris. So I would like block off my calendar at whatever 10 AM and leave my meetings and go sit in my car and talk to her. And it was great. It was, it was what I needed to incrementally take me from day five, when I always broke down to day 16, to my first dinner party, to my first date night, to, you know, going to a work conference with the crappy wine and the tiny, you know, plastic cups yeah. lined up on the bar, like all of those moments where I would have drank, she kind of held my hand through that. And that's how I ended up quitting. Hmm. Wow. I mean, and and you are a perfect walking example of how there is so much power in just trying different things. Yes. You know, I know we talked about this on, on the podcast we recorded for yours, but, you know, just not giving up, you know, okay. So you tried something, it didn't work. What are you going to do? Yeah. You know, we have that moment, like you said, where it's like, well, shoot, I guess we're drinking. <laughs> but then in our heart, we know this isn't when working. You have to find an approach, in my opinion, that you're proud of that you're mm -hmm. like, this is, is, you know, one of the things I liked about Belle was she, and I do not use the word alcoholic to describe myself. I just don't. I'm like, yeah, I used to drink a lot and I loved it. And I quit. Like yeah. literally that is the story. I don't drink anymore. Um, and you know, she was just like, you know, drinking doesn't suit you. No one needs to drink. It's more fun not to. And I felt like I like slowly reprogrammed my brain where I truly believe that, you mm -hmm. know? Well, and I think there's a lot of power in finding something that you really, truly in your core can relate to. Yes. You know, I think that, you know, for me, finding a group of women that were not only moms, 
but, you know, are moms that want to quit drinking and just had a lot of like-minded beliefs, you know, that makes me keep showing up. That makes me connect with them at a deeper level than some of my closest friendships are, yes. you know, because we, for some reason, once you get sober and you start sharing your story, you know, you trust these sober people so much because they've seen the real authentic side of you, you know, do you agree? Oh God. Yes. I yeah. mean, even in the early days, I was sharing more real stuff with people who'd quit drinking, who I'd never met in real life. than I shared with my best friend from right. when I was 15 and I love my best friend, but we're always so busy. So it's mm -hmm. like, Oh, what's going on with the job and the kid and the baseball and the ex. And with these people, I was like, Oh my fucking God, I want to kill my husband and I want to drink a bottle of wine. And I walked by this restaurant and these people were laughing and I'm going to cry. Like yeah. literally that was the post. Yeah. Like now I wasn't telling that to, you know, my work bestie. <laughs> right. And I mean, even just the simple act of sharing how many days you are, I don't know if you were a day counter, but for oh, me, I was. it was just I, like, I'm a list girl. I love guys, counting days. Yeah. I would just, be, I'm at 35, I'm at 42. Like they get it, you know, and to see that reaction and have them cheer you on, like meant the world where quote unquote normal drinkers or, you know, people that are yeah. not on this journey per se, you know good job. Like they just didn't get it. They we needed that. It. Like you're like, <laughs> Oh my God, I'm on day 14. I need a fucking parade. Like where's my tiara? You Where know? are the and, balloons? <laughs> yeah. And people who are doing this too. are like, Oh my God, is that the longest you've done in two years? You know, yeah. two weeks without alcohol and so people true. work are like shrug. Like <laughs> good job. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, like, Oh my goodness. So, so good. Well, speaking of good, this is where usually I quickly shift to the good. Yeah. I mean, a lot, everything we've been talking about is good, but let's talk briefly about your podcast and everything that you're doing now that is amazing in sobriety because you put down that drink. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I always say, and it is completely true. Like quitting drinking was literally my worst case scenario in life. Like that was the one thing to be avoided at all costs. And it has turned out to be the best decision I ever made. And if you had told me that when I was drinking, I never would have believed you, even though I was feeling like garbage and asking myself what was wrong with me and berating myself every day. Um, and so what I found was as I stopped drinking, as I met more people, as I built up more days, as I gained more confidence and new hobbies and all that stuff. I was, I was legitimately happier. Um, I was way healthier. I, my job was easier. I was learning and growing and taking care of myself for the first time in forever. And, you know, in the beginning, it's incredibly hard. You're just trying to go to bed and put your head on the pillow without drinking. And like, like I said, I'm like, I walked by this restaurant and I'm crying because they were laughing and had wine in front of them. I mean, you know, you're so fragile. It's such a tender time. And then, you know, you go through the phase of being like, oh my God, I'm a badass and I'm happy and I feel amazing. And I ran my first 10 K in six years and what, you know, this is amazing. And then you go through the hard stuff too. And then you don't drink, you don't have your coping skills. So you add more stuff. And it's such a like, up and down, but overall up, um, you know, so for 
a while I was in early sobriety and then I was pink clouding it. And then I was life got real. And then I sort of got to this period of time where I was like, you know, all of a sudden you're like, I don't know if I like my job. Why am I doing this? How much money is enough? How much stress is too much? How much am I doing this job because of ego or because I'm scared or because whatever. And so, you know, I was just, I knew more coaches in my life because I'd been coached and I kind of told my husband, I'm, I'd like, I'm thinking about becoming a coach, but what do you think? You know, I earned more money than he did and all this stuff. And he was like, babe, at what point do you get to go do something just because you're interested in it? And I was like, I'm allowed to do that you know, like <laughs> as an adult with responsibility. So I went back to coaching school. I did not know I wanted to be a sober coach mm. um, because, you know, when you stop drinking, your goal is to stop thinking about drinking. And I did for a long time. I wanted to be a life coach for basically every 40 year old working mom. I knew mm-hmm. it was somehow I'd followed all the rules and done all the things and was not as happy as they thought they'd be, you know, and couldn't figure out why. Um, But I went through coaching school, I, you know, set up my website, I started working with women. And I realized that working with basically the same profile of women, meaning women like me, women who were successful, very busy working moms, who also drank too much was incredibly satisfying and also way easier because you know, when you remove the alcohol, 70% of your life gets better pretty immediately. Like you're like running this marathon with this ball and chain tied to your ankle. And when you take that away, suddenly you get the clarity and the energy and the confidence to work on all the other stuff. And with a lot of the women I was working on who weren't trying to stop drinking, it was really hard for me to get them honest about what was going on in their lives. I think because they couldn't even get honest with themselves. Like, do I really like my husband or, (laughs) you know, know, and, and, or whatever it is, like everybody thinks it's, I need to lose 20 pounds and change my job. Or is it that you have poor boundaries because you're afraid of people not liking you? Like, you know, it's hard to get real. Yeah. And, um, And with women who are stopping drinking, like we talked about, you just get honest really quick. And that is amazing because then you have a roadmap for change. And it does not mean you need to leave your job or your husband, but it does mean keeping your head down and going on as you're going without changing anything is not working. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's how I became a coach. And I started the podcast because they helped me in early sobriety. And I basically get to reach out to people who I think are cool or interesting or have written incredible books or done great work and have a conversation with them. Wow. So much good. And this is like another prime example of just the good that can come out of one thing, you know, I mean, one thing, removing one substance and look at your life now. Yeah. Yeah. If you would have told yourself 10 years ago, Hey, guess what you're going to be doing? Like, yeah. Would you have believed it? (laughs) No, because I was like, I can never leave my corporate job and X, Y, Z. And, but here's what I think about not drinking. I mean, I really, really, you know, I subscribe to the approach of habit change, behavioral change in stopping drinking that it's an addictive behavior, but it's also a habit. And 
I see, you know, the idea in atomic habits, they talked about, you know, self-improvement is the compound interest of good habits. And I see not drinking as like one of the best habits I could have ever changed. So it's like this 401k curve of your trajectory that just builds over time, you know, slowly at first. And then at some point you get a hockey stick, but the corresponding negative 401k curve is equal. And so when I think about where I am now, six and a half years alcohol-free versus where I would have been had I continued drinking a bottle of wine or more seven nights a week. Now that trajectory is night and day because it was going nowhere good. Mm -hmm. So true. Such a good example. Oh my gosh, Casey, I could talk to you for days. I love this so much. Such good information and conversation. And this is always the sad part because I always just want to sit here, you yeah, know, and know. keep talking. There's so much. Um, but let's go ahead. I would love for you to just share looking forward. What's what's next for you? I mean, it can be big or small. It could be, hey, I'm going to run another 10K or I'm just yeah. going to drink my damn water. I don't know, you know, well, but what's the big exciting? thing, the big thing that I have coming up is actually happening at the end of June. I am going to Africa for, with my kids, my mom and my mother-in-law on this huge safari through sort of Botswana and Namibia. I have not been back to Africa for 25 years and I wow. grew up there. So my parents were foreign service. We actually lived in Zambia, Botswana, Namibia, couple other places. And, um, my dad passed away when I was 29, but my mom has always had it on her goal to take my kids there so that they could, you know, actually envision what their grandparents and parents' life were like. And what is most cool is my daughter is going to be eight on this trip. And I was eight when I lived in Zambia for the first time. And my son will be 14 and I was 14, you know, the summer before I went to boarding school, when my dad actually opened the American embassy in Namibia, they were the last colony in Africa to get independence. They got independence from South Africa. And my dad did the elections, which is way too much information. But this, <laughs> this trip is, is something that is so meaningful to me. Um, and I'm just really excited to see my kids there. My husband's never been there. And, you know, it's part of my childhood that's so different than theirs. Wow. Okay. When I said big or small, I don't even think you are on a whole nother level. That is huge. And I'm so excited to hear about it. What a magical, yeah. amazing experience. Yeah. So if have. anyone wants to see pictures of my trip there, I'm so excited. You can yes. go, I'm on Instagram. I'm, I'm not as, um, I'm not the big sobriety, you know, followers like, like you are at decidedly drive, but, um, it's Casey M Davidson. And I'm super excited to, to post everything I see and remember from. I can't wait to see it. Africa. Yeah. I will have your information and contact in the show notes. And before I let you go, I know we have only moments left, but um, to the one person, I always end with this question to the one or many that are listening right now and feeling inspired to make a change. What advice could you give them? Yeah. Um, I would say if you're tapping into resources like this podcast, keep doing that. Keep listening to and joining and trying to find the path that inspires you. And that can be different for everyone. 
do not think that you have to be quote unquote that bad to have to quit. Um, you can instead be curious to see what an extended period of time without alcohol is like, you can be excited to be like, oh my God, how much better will I physically feel? What hobbies could I take up? Um, what would a summer, fall, winter, spring be like without drinking? Cause you know what it's like when you're drinking, you know, the good and the bad, the events, the highlights, the lowlights. So, you know, just be curious enough to take that first step, but also know that going a longer period of time is so much better than trying to moderate. If you're sitting there and you're like, I do, I only drink once a week or I go two weeks and then I drink. It's not quote unquote that bad. And when I'm not drinking, I'm annoyed, bored, irritated. It's not that you don't like sobriety or alcohol-free life. You don't like early sobriety, which by the way, nobody does. You're constantly going through withdrawal and craving. You're living in withdrawal and craving. So just set a goal, tap into support and get excited. Yep. Yep. You nailed it. I mean, you can just do it for the health of it, right? Yeah. Who cares? Yeah, no labels, thinks? no judgment, nothing. No. Well, Casey, thank you so much. I, like I said, I'm going to have your contact info in the show notes so that people can pop over and not only see your exciting trip that's coming up, but just be able to follow you and listen to your show. And I just appreciate you. So oh, it's been you. so great to get to know you. So thank oh, you. I know. Oh, I was going to close with, it's been damn good to meet you. Oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> damn oh, damn good to, to meet you. I remember that guy's name. I really do. Yeah. All right, you. Well, thank you for being here. And I just hope you have the best trip. And I'm excited to stay in contact. If you'd like to learn more about the show or make a donation, you can head over to decidedlydry.com. If you enjoy the show, the best way to support it is to subscribe and to leave an awesome rating or review over on Apple Podcasts. It's sure been a treat spending this time with you. And just remember, if the only thing you did today was stay sober, you are winning. I'll see you next time.